I don't drink a whole lot. That is I not just a week's like, worth of damage. No, no, it's not a week's. Matter of fact, I don't think I, I don't think I touched it since our our last podcast. I the podcast seems to drive me to drink more. I'm usually fine through the week, and then yeah. when Thursday rolls around and about seven o'clock hits, and I realize I have to do a podcast with you, I just start drinking heavily. Yeah, I, I don't know is what that... it is. I most people I talk to, it's only in a drinking situation. <laughs> so I think it's something about my personality. Uh, it's 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 my feelings for you, Thomas. They confuse me. I don't <laughs> confuse and I don't anger. <laughs> <laughs> I want to punch you, then hug you, and then punch you again, then embrace you deeply. Yeah. What are we talking about? You're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 35, recorded November 3rd, 2016. Today we talk about social networking, the new view meetup, becoming a versatile hacker, jet brains for students, choosing an open source license, and the Joomla hack. Let's go. Episode 35, we're back again. We're back, baby. <laughs> this week can't kill me. <laughs> it's tried. As hard as it's tried. Good evening, Eric. Good evening, Thomas. I always start the show off with, how are you doing? I've got to, I've got to mix it up. Got to, I'm doing well. Good. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Working, working through... You actually didn't ask me how I, I was doing. You just said good evening, and I just replied with how I was doing. Yeah, that's okay. I don't. I'm not judging you on your selfishness. I'm like I'm like Westworld, man. I have a loop, and I and I, I gotta go. <laughs> I start my loop every time. No, no I, I can't deviate a, too far. No one has a loop anymore, man. All oh, that's out the window. <laughs> Shh! Don't spoil anything. I don't know if you're right there. I'm I'm surprised by this show. You have got to stop getting me hooked on these shows. But I am very happy with Westworld. I, Anthony Hopkins, holy shit, dude is that a dude maniac. It's terrifying. That guy, I, is horrifying. I hope I never meet the guy in real life because he's just gonna creep me out. His character is is just it's amazing. He gets he gets threatened by somebody, and he's like, "Oh, um, I'm God, though. Don't forget, I'm literally God." He will literally bring the world down on you. Yeah, literally. It's terrifying. <laughs> They're like, "Well, we're just worried about your new plans." He's like, "Oh, really? My new plans? Here, look." And then just destruction reigns. It's amazing. Yeah. And and yeah, yep. boy, we're only on the fifth episode, but they are they're just cranking the speed up on this show. If you're not watching Westworld, you're you're doing yourself a disservice. No, you're not. You're not. You're almost done through the season. Give it a few more a uh, few more weeks, and then you can binge watch the entire season. That's what I wish I had done. I, I kind of did that with uh, the Game of Thrones. I, I watched the first three seasons, and then I stopped watching it. So I can I actually have a few seasons of the Game of Thrones. I can binge watch nice. uh, whenever I interested but i wish i'd done that with this show but you i let you suck me into it and now i'm week week after week waiting for the for the next show to come out do you know it hasn't been renewed for a second season yet well that was you didn't hear me but 
I, I try to slip in. How many seasons do you think the show has in it? They don't know. It's got to be one of the more expensive productions that they do. The head of HBO has said, I'm not sure what the reaction to the end of this season is going to be. And until I, until I see it, I'm not going to renew the show. I don't buy that. I don't buy that because because of things like Game Game of Thrones and all that. I think it's going to be a production issue. I mean, just the the extras that they have, the tech. Uh, it's got to be an expensive production. It has to be. Oh yeah, it's got all sorts of extra hazard pays in it. Yeah. So it's been a pretty interesting week here in the U.S. It has. Uh, Keep in mind, we are global. We, we have heard from people in other countries who listen to us. So I'm, I'm curious because one of the things that we had here in the U.S. was Halloween, which was on Monday. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I think that's an American holiday. Is that an American holiday or is that something that they do all over the world? Well, it's it's adopted from pagan holidays. So it it's all around the world, but it's sort of different times around the same time. Yeah, I was listening to a North Meets South podcast, and uh, one of the guys on that podcast, Mike, is uh, he's um, in Australia, and uh, yeah, he talked like, yeah, it's not really anything that they they even do. I mean, he's like, it's it's kind of caught on a little bit, but not not really to the extreme it is here in the U.S. I've I've heard that the Japanese love Japanese tourists love Halloween in America because. Japanese have... tourists love Halloween in America? Yeah, because to them it's such a bizarre, sudden thing. I mean, everything is normal, and then all of a sudden everybody's outside dressed up in costumes. Yeah. Well, it's weird, because when I was a kid, Halloween was huge. And I was always the poor kid that could never afford a nice costume, so my mom was like making shit out of paper bags. Um, and then as, as I got into high school and in early college it really died out like halloween was not that big of a deal and then all of a sudden about five ten years ago it just blew up again but more for the adults like all those people who are my age when they were children all of a sudden like found halloween again and just started partying like crazy and then this year so we live in a very suburban area and it's pretty much what you expect on like a leave it to beaver sort of TV show where your know, neighbors are walking around. Hi neighbor. Hi neighbor. Sure. You know, there's a, there's a lot of that going on here, but where we live specifically is on the side of this hill. And at nighttime, only my house and another house on the street have, have lights. So typically on Halloween, nobody comes down our street because a, it's a hill B it's pretty dark. You can't see who's got their porch light on who doesn't. So most times the trick-or-treaters just pass us by. We get a ton of trick-or-treaters in the neighborhood, but they typically pass by our street. This year, I ran dangerously close to running out of candy. We had so many trick-or-treaters, and we have long been... I've slowly been building up our reputation as that house that gives out the big candy bars. So we're in like year three or four that we've been doing that, and we'll buy like... Two, two or three boxes from Costco of the big full-size candy bars and really barely go through one box every year. This year, it was like, fortunately, we had some extra candy in the house that we were able to <laughs> add to the add to the bowl because we were just about out of candy. 
Which was, it was a good feeling. Yeah. Well, word gets around quick when you start handing out whole candy bars. Now, do your kids, uh, do your kids trick or treat? You know, this year was uh, a different year for us. My my oldest son uh, went out with his friends, and they left at five o'clock, and they didn't finish until nine o'clock, and they picked up as much candy as possible in that time. His his goal was just the candy haul, so he came home with eight or nine pounds of candy. Um, yeah. My daughter went to a block party with her friends, didn't care about candy at all, just had fun and hung out and did girl stuff. Mm-hmm. And then my, my youngest son went trick-or-treating with uh, me and my wife. And, nice. And we, we went down this one street, which is the trick-or-treating street in my neighborhood. And everyone yeah. goes everyone goes nuts. There's thousands of people. It, it looks like a, a theme park for one mm-hmm. night. And this, this neighborhood, being a suburb, runs on wine. So it's all the parents walking around with their wine glasses, <laughs> waving to everybody else, and all the kids screaming and running around and playing. And it is quite fun. Yeah, we have a couple of houses here in the neighborhood that the adults have the adult bowl that they can <laughs> get a treat out of, and then the kids have the kid stuff to, yeah. So that, yeah, I'm, that's I'm curious how that changes in Colorado. Well, it's just, I mean, the adult bowl could be a lot more fun, I yeah. think. <laughs> Actually, how does that, I don't, I don't, what, how does that law work? I mean, you, you is it like cigarettes where you can just give your friend a joint, or what's the, are the rules like you're not allowed to distribute? Or I, I think it's a private consumption thing. I think it's in the privacy mm-hmm. of your own home, but mm-hmm. that's about it. Hmm. Cubs win Cubs. the World Series. Ah, in an amazing game too. Amazing series. Uh, I mean, the whole series was a great series, but yeah, that that final game seven was. Everything you could possibly want out of a World Series. Uh, extra innings, rain delays, comebacks. I mean, everything you could want in a the Cubs in a game seven. The Cubs winning the World Series. Yeah, yeah pretty, unbelievable. Pretty amazing. So you know, Back to the Future Two was only off by one year here. Because Back to the Future Two was calling yeah. the Cubs win in twenty fifteen. And and Biff Tannen was going to be running for president in back in the eighties. I mean, it's like they they actually could go into the future and see what the heck was happening. Yeah, that uh, that Biff Tannen referenced him to Trump it was just so spot on. It's like it, it was terrifying. Well, there there was a reveal that the one of the film's writers, Bob Gale had actually based Biff Tannen's character on Donald Trump. That's unbelievable. <laughs> so. It, you totally see it, too. Oh, yeah. In hindsight, yeah. It's, so are you planning to vote? We're, we're voting for our next president next week. Yeah, I got my mail in. I, I need to fill it out and send it out. Uh, I still like going to the poll. There's something about that, that action of physically going there and placing your vote i I enjoy it yeah yeah i'm not a big fan of leaving the house i'm not a big fan of our choices it's going to be (laughs) it's going to be a stressful four years and i just hope in four years somebody has their act together and and there's their better choices i don't know i don't know what else to say i don't know i don't even know who it could be want to hear something interesting i'd love to just this is breaking news. Just happened 
just happened tonight. My neighbor, uh, who who lives up the hill from us, came down to our house. We're not very social with our neighbors. I might have said a dozen words to this neighbor. My wife has a tendency to be a little bit more chatty than I am, which I'm always thankful for. I I despise going to local stores with my wife, like the local grocery <laughs> store or Walmart, because nothing is ever a 10-minute trip. Because she's going to run into somebody she knows. They're going to have an hour conversation about something that's happening. And there's just no way around it. Now, I'm extremely appreciative of it. I just don't want to be involved in it. <laughs> sure, sure. Keep, but, her, uh, keep her busy. That's fine. Yeah. Our neighbor comes down. And I'm like, ah. I see her. I'm sitting here in my office. And I can look out my window and see people walking up to the front door. I'm like... Oh, that's unusual. I wonder why she's over. Turns out her dog had gotten away. A new puppy, like three or four months old, had gone, had come up missing. And she came home from work. Dog wasn't around. She came over asking if we had by chance seen it. And we had not. So we uh, do a quick cruise around the neighborhood. And I'm telling the wife, I'm like, if you don't know what time the dog left, your chances of finding this thing are slim to none. But we, we live in a pretty good neighborhood, and I'm like, somebody's going to pick up this dog. Everybody's got their dog chipped. They'll take it to the vet. They'll, they'll chip it. They'll find out who it is. It's going to be fine. But we go ahead and do the search anyways. Well, my one daughter, in her new day and age way of socializing with her friend, she posts something to Snapchat. Snapchat. I'm like, really, Snapchat? Who you, You're going to po- post a lost puppy to Snapchat? She posts that her our neighbor had lost their puppy. It's a black lab, and if you see it in the Garden Road area, to let her know. Lo and behold, immediately she gets a message from one of her friends who said, Hey, I have another friend who lives over by you who says he just found a black lab. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So she gets the numbers. Turns out it's this lady's dog, and my, do- my daughter rescued this dog you know found this our neighbor's dog through snapchat in in all of a matter of maybe 10 minutes it took her to i mean she just happened to go out walking when she decided to do it but yeah it, it was the first time i'd actually seen that work in action i'm like really that that actually works i thought it was hysterical yeah you know i i just don't think that that technology is meant for us it really Twitter is about where I top off at. I I like Twitter. I I actually don't even Facebook anymore because I just I've kind of lost my incentive with Facebook. I I have friends who from high school who friend me, and I I treat Facebook and Twitter very differently. Um, family and friends I physically have known I will have on Facebook, and I just don't particularly care for the chatter on Facebook. There's a lot of political stuff. There's a lot of baby pictures. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to go reference to see to catch up on people, but I don't need that every day. I don't think people care about what I'm doing every day, and I don't particularly care what they're all doing every day. I am, you know, ecstatic. Your 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 kids eating cold foods, or you've got some twisted political view, but I don't need to read that. If anything, I'm gonna lose respect for you after a while. So. I have a tendency to stay away from Facebook. I actually don't even post to Facebook 
very oft frequently anymore. Uh, Twitter's a different story. I still like Twitter. I mean, Twitter's my geek kind of space, and I am totally geeking out on Twitter. I, I, the stuff I post to Twitter, I almost never post to Facebook, and I follow people that I've never met on Twitter. So I like that, but that's kind of where I start to top off. Kids, the younger generation, I mean, you know, today it's Snapchat. They love that yeah. Snapchat, and that is what makes those connections for them. And they will sit there all day creating Snapchat storylines and post them, and it's crazy. And it takes a lot of bandwidth, too, man. I see my kids' uh, mobile phone, uh, the data that they use, I'm like, I think Snapchat's got to be in cahoots with the phone companies or something because <laughs> these things eat up some data. Speaking of which, you hear Vines going bye bye. I I didn't did not I I forgot I forgot I even had a Vine and Twitter owns a Vine right? Yeah. So it's going bye bye, huh? Yeah. So because they, Vine... they they kind of have all the Vine stuff baked into tw- Twitter now, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot. I, I looked at my profile tonight, as a matter of fact. I noticed I had that Vine link on there. I'm like, oh, that's weird. I, I forgot I even had a Vine account. So it's going away, eh? Yeah, I think they're just going to roll all the features into into Twitter in one way or another. Because I know Twitter is going to be going through a lot soon. I think they're pretty close to have done that already. So, yeah, it's just probably no, no reason to have that extra app. It doesn't really add anything we have a new meetup here in san diego i'm pretty excited about well what's your view what's your view on this one (laughs) we have a vue.js meetup startup and uh, as a uh, as a laravel developer and i've spoken in the past about my appreciation for Vue and trying to get more into it so i've reached out to them they're they're going to do a talk at the laravel group here this month so i'm excited about that nice so yeah, view. For, that's the first view user group I've seen, and I'm happy to see that's here in San Diego. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. If you if you weren't doing PHP today, so think back when you started with PHP and whenever when it really took root with you as the language that you used. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have PHP then, what language do you think you would be coding in? Java. Java? Straight Java? Straight up Java. J2EE. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I learned PHP through my mentor who basically said, hey, you're a smart guy and you can learn whatever I want to push on you. So here's what we're working on. And he taught me from zero to to 60. Everything I needed to know about PHP and we started working together in his garage and yeah, it it was uh I was very fortunate to have someone who needed help and knew that I could help him. But but what what would draw you to Java though? I'm just curious. That was we had worked together in the past and that was what he had worked with. He worked on J2EE and then when the startup bubble oh, burst. Okay. Yeah, when the startup bubble burst, he started working in PHP instead. And so when he brought me on, he just had it chosen. It's just we're doing PHP. And uh, I had I had no point of reference or reason to argue, so PHP four it was. Right. Nice, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that today. I was like, you know, I don't. I think if if I had chosen another language when I had chosen uh, PHP, 
it would have been Python. I would have I would have gotten Ooh. pretty deep into Python. I still have a lot of attraction to Python. It lost a lot of momentum with me with when they stumbled with their two to three move. And uh, I think it's showing its age a little bit, but I, I still like I still like Python. Now, if I were getting into it today and I didn't have PHP, I think I would probably look at something like Node or, or you know, some JavaScript framework and language. And that's not necessarily a good thing. The big money's on Python right now. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm a big Python fan. It has consistently the highest average pay. It's it's a great language. It's just not a. I, I I still don't feel like it's good fit for a web language, and that's where I live. If if I weren't doing web, even today, if I weren't doing web, I would probably revisit Python. But Python, trying to get it, I mean, they have some great frameworks now, even some minimalist frameworks like Flask. But they've always had some web frameworks, and it. it it's always seemed like a clunky fit for Python to run web pages, at least front end. Perhaps using it as back end API stuff, I, I haven't really looked into that, but maybe it's a better fit for that. But yeah, it's it's just never been a web language to me. But yeah, in the science community, in the medical community, Python, huge. Oh, yeah. Huge. And pays well. Pays really well. Yeah, a lot of biotech stuff using Python. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, and you know that that brings up a good point is that one of the more important things nowadays isn't knowing frameworks really well, knowing all the PHP frameworks and being able to to pop into Symphony or Laravel. You know, one of the really important things now is the the ability to jump into Python or jump into Java or jump into C Sharp whenever you need to. I've been reading an interesting article, and I say I've been reading because it's a long article, but I've been reading an interesting article about about anti-fragile developers. Have you heard about this at all? Anti-fragile? No. Yeah. What does that, what does that word mean? Well, the, the quote here is that Anti-fragile is a category of things that not only gain from chaos, but need it in order to survive and flourish. So, you know, lots of sort of the, the hacker mentality. Lots of work, lots of environments, having a billion windows open. There are people who thrive in that sort of environment. And uh-huh. a lot of jobs can be, hey, you're just writing reports from now until you're 40 years old. And right. there are people who thrive in that environment, and there are people who don't. Yeah. Well, it, it's always struck me as when you get into a big enterprise, you know, my argument has always been you're eventually going to become some sort of shop. You're going to become a Java shop. You're going to become a PHP shop. No matter how good the people are you have in place to make the decisions and how well they versed, they're versed at all the decisions that are out, out there, Eventually, you're going to build up a strength in one technology or the other, and that technology will will take over. And that person who used to be who used to have the freedom of saying, "Well, no, Java will be good for this project. PHP is going to be good for this project. Something else completely different is going to be good for this project." 
that guy's voice will start to fade away because the Java team that that's been building up because they've had the bigger projects will start to have a louder voice and say, no, 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 we can handle everything. Nobody has to, has to worry about any of these other platforms. We can do it all. And I've always kind of, I've always kind of associated myself to this hacker philosophy of having a, you know, always kind of dipping your toes in all the other pools and understanding what's happening and how they're doing things. If not, if for no other reason, to make yourself better at your chosen tool set is to take a peek at somebody else's tool set and say, okay, how are they doing this? How do they handle arrays? How do they handle objects? And oh, that's a good approach. We should start to implement over here. Yeah, I think there's a natural entropy for web shops to to want to smooth out their whole process and stick with one thing even if it isn't the best fit sometimes. and Right. I mean, it's an economical decision. You know, yeah. it's, it's expensive to have multiple platforms. So, question for you. Let's say you were a student and you wanted to learn about these, these fancy languages. You wanted to be the diverse hacker. Mm-hmm. How do, you, how do you get all the IDEs that you need for all these different languages? And all these different platforms. Uh, well, you know, fortunately... Vim covers them all. Vim covers them all. Yes, it does. Yes, That's it exactly does. where I was going. Vim. It, it, was that where you were going? No. That's awesome. That, that is not exactly where I was I going. I think Vim should be a mandatory class. Uh, and Wait, no, that wasn't the direction you were going? Oh, no, what? That, that wasn't, wasn't my direction. <laughs> this is a What's news item. <laughs> what? That we so, all should learn Vim? No, JetBrains. You're a JetBrain. I know. What about JetBrains? Well, if you're a student, then you can get the complete JetBrains product pack for free. This I did not know. I just found this out today. Is very appealing. So JetBrains has, and I know you grabbed this off my Twitter stream. Thank you for mentioning that. I appreciate it. I mean, you didn't mention it here, but you mentioned it to me earlier. It makes me feel good. You were. It was funny. It was like, I don't have any news items this week. You're like, well, I'm just going through your Twitter stream and pulling that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so so JetBrains has always had an interesting model. Uh, they've they've definitely become the, like the de facto IDE for a lot of languages. And certain versions of their IDE, for example, PHP Storm, is a straight up, you have to buy a license to use it. There's no free tier. There's a there's an early adoption program where you can you can be their guinea pig and test out their newest release, but you can't have a stable version of PHP Storm without a license. Yeah, now they're very even even the early adopter system. It's an honor system. You have to have a license to use it on the honor system. Oh, do system. you? Yeah. So oh, I I don't don't think I knew that. Yeah, JetBrains is interesting because they make everything sort of easy to download mm-hmm. and then they just sort of nag you about it they know that a user an individual user is far less likely to pay for something than a company is and if they just right. say hey let your boss know here's how you buy a corporate license here's how you send it to the developers and i think they're really smart on that it's like we're not they, they kind of give me the impression where hey we're not trying to get every individual developer who uses our tool to pay us 
we're really going after like these companies. We want them to standardize on us because they do do a lot of uh, free licenses to user groups, free license. Every way you turn, they, they seems to be giving away a free license. And some of their um, some of their IDs ha- actually have a community version. So I know PyCharm is one of them, where PyCharm has the paid version, and then they have a community version which has a little different feature set. But you know, it's it's still the Python IDE, but yeah, uh, kind of derailed your, your, your card a little bit, but yeah, it looks like now if you're a student, you have to apply for it, but you can, you can send in an application and say, Hey, I'm learning C sharp or I'm learning, um, Python, you know, can you, can I get a IDE associated with that? And they, Sounds like they're 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 giving away IDEs now. It's actually a little bit more than that. Um, as long as you have a .edu, you know, uh, top level Email. domain, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then uh, when you apply, you get the all products pack. So you you, you get everything from JetBrains all what? at once. What? Yeah, I it's, missed it's, that. Where do you see that? It's everything they make. You get the whole suite. Yeah, you get everything. You get PyCharm, WebStorm, PHPStorm, RubyMine. You know, I'm pretty sure my kids have an EDU uh, (laughs) email address. I need to to get to know. You know, the problem is they're crack dealers. That's their problem. They're crack dealers. They're going to give it to you for free for a year. You're going to use it, and you're going to get hooked, and you're going to realize you can't code without it. That's what I was telling you and John a few podcasts go the these tools make you a weaker developer that's why you stick with vim stick with vim and you'll be a, you'll be a stronger developer it'll be free i tell you what i'll make this offer Crying to all our listeners all our listeners to the php ugly podcast email me and you get a free version of them i will get you a free version of them i've donated to them you're you're supposed to donate. It's actually donationware. You're supposed to donate to yeah. If if you fire it up, it even gives you a little message. Um, and I I sent in my donation after years of using and paying for IDEs and text uh, editors like Sublime. I finally said, you know what? I really owe this guy a donation and sent my sent in my donation. Yes, that that's a good card. That's not the typical doom and gloom of Tom that I know. No. Now, there is one thing. If you if you do go to sign up for one of those free student accounts, uh, they're going to want you to register. So you just type in, you know, name, email address, and then a password you're going to use for their product. And it's good because it that's where you, you can choose to have your licenses there. So if you use multiple systems... You log in, it calls home, gets your license. You don't have to worry about carrying around a big license key with you. Yeah, but if you're on multiple systems, now you've you know, you've know got to have a password that's unique, that you remember. You go onto someone else's you know, iPhone. How do you remember? That's true. How do you remember what the password was that you used for the site? You know, you know what else runs on multiple systems? What? Them. <laughs> no, no password required. I don't know. How do you remember your password? LastPass. Use a password manager. Use a password manager. Specifically, you're you're just stepping on all my cards now. 
Am I stepping you've, up? I, you've I, gone, I you've like gone all the way. Them. You've gone all the way into proselytization. Or prostitution. Proselyt. Do you see my thong? What? <laughs> just. <laughs> You're you're just backpage.coming Vim right now. <laughs> LastPass. I have long been a LastPass subscriber. Now, I, are you I premium? Pay for LastPass? Are I you am premium? premium. So you pay the dollar a month. Yeah, exactly. It it was well worth it to me. And it, and it's funny because I had I had forgotten what I was paying for. <laughs> I, I honestly could not remember what the extra features were by paying for LastPass. I just was doing it because I, I knew it was a good thing, a good idea one time, and I totally had lost sight of what those extra features were. I saw this article come out that uh, we're moving to, which is LastPass now for free allows you to get uh, multiple devices, right? Right. That's, that's the whole thing? So Android, Chrome, the mobile devices, the whole, yeah, the whole thing. That, that I totally forgot that that was not a free service. Like if if you weren't paying for LastPass, you couldn't use it on your Android device. So that would have sucked. I'm glad I paid for it, but now I don't know why I'm paying for it because well, I'm, <laughs> you're, you're you're paying for it to support people like me who aren't paying for it. I also pay for it for work. So our company has has sub standardized on LastPass as the way we manage passwords within our company. And the nice thing about, now that's an enterprise level LastPass. And the nice thing about that one is it allows us to, first thing we can manage like groups, like we can have multiple groups. I can have an admin group. I can have a developer group. I can have a manager's group and have different passwords associated to all those groups. But what's even cooler and again, this is a feature of LastPass. I don't know if it's a feature of any other password manager. It might be. But I can share passwords with like my developers without them ever seeing what the password is. They have no way of, of physically seeing the password. They can only use it through the interface and have it process your login. Really? So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I, I don't have a lot of need for it just because we're such a small group and we have a lot of trust with the people but occasionally we'll get uh we'll work with an outside contractor or with um a vendor of some sort where we'll want to share something and that's that would be like one of those use cases where i'll make a password i'll share it with them but not give them the ability to see what that password is yeah it's cool uh i was on the lara chat um slack channel and somebody was asking why would you use LastPass over something called, like KeyPass? And my response to him is, you know what? If you're using a password manager and it's working for you, then you just keep at it. Uh, if you if there if there isn't a feature that's you look at LastPass and say, oh, I need that feature right there, and KeyPass is doing everything you need it to do, then there's no reason to change. As I said. We're using LastPass for a company, but our, our CEO continues to use one password because that's what works for him. It's worked for him for a very long time, so he continues to use it just if he needs any passwords to be exchanged with any of the developers or anything, he has to switch back over to LastPass. But kind of his, his muscle memory takes him back to uh, one password. 
But I mean, you know, that guy can't even stay up to do a podcast with us at night. So yeah, <laughs> he just doesn't have good decision making. You know, so, so that guy, that guy gets two two kids and he just falls asleep. It's weird. Yeah. I, I can't even remember his name off the top of my head. Yeah, no, it's starting to slip me at this point. What are you, what are you drinking there? Scotch, maybe, mm, maybe not. Scotch. I'm still working my way through my um my Johnny Walker. God, it looks untouched. No, no, I don't drink a whole lot. That is I not a week's like, worth of damage. No, no, it's not a week's. Matter of fact, I don't think I, I don't think I touched it since our, our last podcast. I the podcast seems to drive me to drink more. I'm usually fine through the week, and then yeah. when Thursday rolls around and about seven o'clock hits, and I realize I have to do a podcast with you, I just start drinking heavily. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I most people I talk to, it's only in a drinking situation. <laughs> so I think it's something about my personality. It's my feelings for you, Thomas. They confuse me. I don't <laughs> confuse and don't anger. <laughs> <laughs> I want to punch you, then hug you, and then punch you again, then embrace you deeply. Yeah. What are we talking yeah. about? So a couple weeks ago. <laughs> A couple weeks ago, during the October Hackathon, Hacktoberfest, you were talking about how you chose a license for our podcast, for the news items listings that we have. And I was curious then, but I didn't ask, how did you pick a license? Uh, So I logged into GitHub, and it said, attach a license to your project. (laughs) (laughs) I was, it, it was... Picking an open source license is a pretty big deal. And it says a lot about how you want your software used. Because of our repo and and the way it's formatted, really none of the license applied. Um, I kind of did it because I was more worried that uh, people would contribute to our repo and not get credit for Hacktoberfest because there wasn't an open source license attached to it. The one I wanted to apply to it was a created creative commons license which seemed to be more applicable to what the podcast was right creative works and stuff yeah yeah but again i was like well maybe they won't they won't interpret that as a um open source license so so i picked i think i ended up picking up the mit license because that's a pretty popular one in open source okay um so with the MIT license, your only condition on usage is that you include a copy of the license and copyright notice within the code. That's right. And, and you, ha- you have to always give credit back to the original creator. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've looked over a list of all these, these different licenses. We've got the GNU AGPL v3 and the GPL v3 and the LGPL v3. And then we've got the Mozilla license, the Apache license, the MIT license, and then the unlicense. And they all have very different implications. Uh, and again, it, it, it's a serious matter when you have software. Because if you, cho- if you choose the wrong license, a company can very easily take your software and sell it. Not make any mention of the fact that it, it was your work or... Or anything like that. They can sell it. They can support it. And 
make huge profit off it. And so it's real, real important that you understand what all the licenses are when, when you're doing things like a project, a coding project. Yeah, and it's one of do those you, things that can be hard to change, too, because... Do, do you have any good tools for that? I do. Um, if you check out chooseolicense.com, they've got a whole workflow for what it is you're worried about and which license is best for that concern. Oh, you know, yeah, look at that. My link was purple. Yeah, I've been to this site. I think I actually came here when I was trying to do our license. Yeah, this looks very familiar. Yeah, and it's, it's something that I think anyone who's creating an open source project or publishing something, generally speaking, publicly, needs to be aware of. Is that your work, your work is yours until you give it away saying, I don't care about credit at all. We'll, we'll make sure we add that link to the show notes as well. Choose a license.com. Yeah, that's one of those spaces tabs wars, man. When you get into these little license debates and what license is better for what project, it oh, gets yeah. very, very nitpicky. Uh, some some people in the open source community will not accept some licenses under the term open. Uh-huh. Uh, specifically, I know that the GNU people get very, very excited about licenses and... And which ones are truly open and which ones are fake open and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I I don't think there's any need for that level of obsession over it. I think what's important is what fits your needs. I'm glad there are people like that out there because they kind of keep, yeah, they kind of keep that, that field honest and keep us thinking about it. But yeah, once you get to my level, (laughs) And I, I've been reminded. Once, once you have kids, your general concept of yeah, just take it. I don't care. Whatever, do whatever you want to. I don't, yeah, I don't want. I don't it. care about credit. I don't know. Just, just do oh, fine. Yeah, sure. Something yeah. about kids will just do that to you. Uh, break you down. Break you down. No regrets. None at all. <laughs> I'm the happiest I've ever been, according to my wife. <laughs> yeah. And and the selectively chosen studies. <laughs> All right, come on. We know what's out there. Did we? Did Doom we find gloom, music? We, did we find music we got, for this? Uh, I can't even remember. I can't even remember how I did. I, I remember I had angry guy do, marched in last time. I was. I don't remember. No, there's no music. We need we Just need some no, we need some castle on a on a rainy night backlit with lightning doom and gloom music for for my segment I, here. I will you know what I will uh, I will make a note right now for the editors and see if they have doom and gloom music they can put on here. And uh give it a second. Okay, if you just heard something, those are our editors adding doom and gloom music. If you haven't, our, our excellent editors. Our excellent editors. If you don't hear any music here, then, you know. Then they listen to the podcast as well as I do. They were going to charge us extra, (laughs) and and we weren't going to pay for it. (laughs) Have you followed this thing about Joomla at all? I have not. I was very surprised when I saw this in Trello and didn't get a chance to read it. No, I I don't know anything about this. So there there was a... uh, 
a patch for Joomla released. Let's see, it's I can get the specific CVE 2016-8870, in which there was a way to register for a Joomla service even when the Joomla validations said no registrations allowed. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's an old bug. Uh, it turns out it's been hanging around uh, for a little over a year. So it's a bug in the code then, huh? That was initially what people thought. People said, wow, that's weird. That's that's weird that this is in here. There's another register method other than the one that should be the default register method. But a Joomla user, Fiona Coulter, who runs FionaCoulter.com, created a blog entry about this showing some sort of investigation. And I'm going to throw a quote out here for you. Okay. It seems that a user, Likulerulu, joined GitHub on the 30th of August 2015, submitted a patch for the faulty function call to model validate to the Joomla CMS project that same day, which was accepted without question and has never had any activity on GitHub since. <laughs> so you think they, uh, they put it in the back door? Or? I don't know. It's very interesting because it's a user who registered, created a pull request. The pull request was accepted without any oversight and never did anything again. I so mean, this, you can, this that's, that's every, the factual stuff. This is every security specialist argument against open source yes. all wrapped up in one PR that the bad guys can slip in their own code and get it by the people who are supposed to be watching for bad code. And that's, I think the reason this is a big deal is not because it's Joomla, because Joomla is kind of a, a who cares project in my book, at least. But the fact that a project that does have use at the level that Joomla does isn't getting proper quality control is concerning. Well, what's even crazier is not only did he only put in one PR, the PR only changed one file in literally, it looks like 11 lines, including a couple of empty lines. So maybe eight, nine lines of code here. Yeah, it's it's an absolute minimal amount of code to inspect, and it, it does not appear to be malicious. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It looks like it looks like a valid check. Right, and it just looks like someone who should have been looking closer at the code said, "Oh yeah, somebody pushed something that fixed a legitimate bug that they found. Uh -huh. Let's let's go ahead and push it into the main package." And for a year, this vulnerability was in place that compromised, really, system-wide security. Because once, once you've got your account, escalation is yet another process. Right. So it, it was a very suspicious behavior, but we really don't know if his intentions were malicious or not. Sure. So, but it, it does, it calls into question, again, th this isn't about Joomla, this is about the process of code control in open source projects. If someone did want to be malicious and, on a big project and put in a back door, could they do it? You know, th this, if you looked at this as a social engineering test or project or 
a mistake that manifested itself into social engineering. If you were an expert at social engineering, how much could you get away with? Right. Could you could you really compromise a big project? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and again, the argument that this has been the argument of security specialists and the argument of the open source community has always been, hey, we have security specialists that have visibility to this code so that, it, you know, even if something does slip in momentarily, it theoretically gets caught. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. It's definitely something you don't like to see happen. Now I've I've really only heard of this happening one other time, which was the oh, yeah. the Great Wizard login issue in Bash. I don't I'm not familiar with this one. There was a string you could enter in the login prompt in Linux that would log you in as root that was sitting there for a good ten years. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're trying to get me to believe that if I walked up to a terminal with this exploit, there's a particular string I could just enter? I mean, I can do that now. It's called a username and password, but you're saying there was an established kind of god password that would get you into a bash shell? Yeah. Wow. I really hope you find that link. No, Otherwise, I'm going to have to cut... I'll do a lot I'm more digging I'm going to have to cut tonight. this whole piece. I'll do a lot more digging tonight and find this. That is... I don't know what terrifies me more. The fact that that was out there or the fact that this does not sound familiar to me. It's old. It was in the 90s that this got... It was in the early 90s that this got patched. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that would make me feel a lot better. But yeah, no, I'm still not familiar with this. But, either way, the issue is that Yes, an open source project got compromised in this way, but it doesn't appear to be malicious, and this is the first time that I've really heard of it happening in this fashion. I, I, I want to say I heard of this happening before, but I can't put my finger on when it was or what project it was. But this sort of exploit, I mean, you've got to think, it, it's definitely happened before. It's such a low-hanging fruit sort of thing, but... Yeah, no, that's that's terrible, and but it's fixed now. It is fixed now. Do you do you do code reviews on the source code that you use? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we try. We're trying to get better at it. We're trying to establish a whole process around it. What's really cool is with some of the newest updates to GitHub, we've actually thrown flags on branches where things can't even be merged until they've been. Somebody has code reviewed it and approved it. So we're we're trying. We're, we really are trying to get better at it. Uh, it gets tough when clients are having problems. They want patches pushed, you know, to, to kind of take that time and somebody reach out and say, okay, I'm done. And it's set up so that the person who submits the PR cannot approve their own PR. Somebody, ha somebody else has to go in there and approve it. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to, the, the tools are being put in place to help us kind of manage it, and we're trying to get better at it. That and, and testing, we're trying to get better at both those things. How about you? Do you guys do code reviews? You know, I occasionally look over the contents of Laravel.xyz to see mm -hmm. what pull requests were accepted into each version of Laravel mm -hmm. um, and see what it is that changed and 
why and things like that. But generally, we don't code review as much as we should. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough because you you got to take the time out away from another developer who's probably ideally coding themselves. And yeah, it's a tough one. I tell you, I, I've really, again, back on the Chat Slack channel, there's a channel in there called Internal that for a while Taylor was using mainly as a feature request in development for the Laravel branches. He's since moved in issue tracking. Uh, he's since moved like the issue tracking and stuff to GitHub, but he still does a lot of, uh, he participates a lot in that internal channel on Slack where a lot of people will go and discuss patches that they're working on for Laravel. It's a great channel to hang out in. I know you're kind of, you're kind of into that stuff. I know clearly you're into the Lair chat, uh, Slack channel. You're, you're on the show with us from time to time. So hang out in that internal channel. You'll see a lot of discussion of developers working on patches. Taylor himself will pop in there and kind of, you know, give his opinion on where he thinks, what direction he thinks things should go. It's a good channel to hang out in if you're into that type of stuff. Well, we're, we're pushing uh, an hour here. I was, you were afraid. We were both afraid. We were going to be short yeah. every time. Every time I'm worried we're short, we just, we have the gift of gab. We're just wonderful people, I guess. Are you calling a night? I am. Do you have you do you I have any a good idea. closing comments? Well, do I ever have a closing comment? Use a password. You've been listening to episode thirty-five. We already said that one. We're we're we gotta, at a uh, got to give a shout out to our listener in Brazil. We, we didn't we shout out to him last week. Yeah, but he still listens. <laughs> Anytime we can keep a listener, I think they get a shout out. <laughs> That's good. He hasn't hung up on us yet, as yeah. far as you know. If you're still listening to us, send us a send us a tweet. Matter of fact, if anybody listens to us, send us a tweet. We just want to know if we're talking to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this has been show thirty-five. Uh, we're slowly chugging along. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly. And a special thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you are looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then you want to reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Links and show notes from this episode of PHP Ugly can be found at www.phpugly.com. You can follow our hosts on Twitter. You can also follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Play Podcast, or SoundCloud. If you like what you hear, then please leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, keep it ugly.